So we begin a new series today, The End or Just the Beginning. And I'm excited as we uh, open this series today. Christy and I were coming home. Uh, we were in Virginia for a few days of rest. And we had used our phone maps to get everywhere we wanted to go. You, you tell Siri, hey, I need to go so-and-so. She brings it up on the map. You push directions. You're there. You figure it out, right? So the day that we're leaving, it's a Friday, and we had gone all over that area with the map. And yet on Friday, it wasn't last week, but the week before, the map app died. I mean, it didn't die. It said, directions not available. And we start freaking out. We pull out of our thing, and I said, which way do we go to get to the exit? And which exit do we take to get on the highway? Which way do we? Because Christy always travels with her big, fat paper map, right? The road atlas. Always. She never misses. And yet this trip, she said, oh, we're just going to Virginia. Don't need the map. And we didn't have a map. And our phones wouldn't work. And she's reading this Ted Decker series. Anybody know who Ted Decker is? The man's whacked, I'm telling you. He, he lives in a, a different level of, of thinking than most people. He's and he's a great author. I, I would agree. I've read some of his stuff from years ago, but, but Ted Decker's in one of these series that she's reading, the grid goes down in the end times, right? And Christy looks at me and she goes, the grid's down. <laughs> the grid is down. We're going to die. Is this the last days? And you, know, you start asking yourself, what, what's going to happen in the last days? Is this the end times? And everybody wants to know about the end times. What's going to happen? Are we living in those last moments of time before eternity begins? And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the apostle Paul writes to Timothy, his son. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, somebody say last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Have you turned the news on lately? Have you watched anything online? If you have, you know 
that this is a description of what we're living in right now. It's not gotten any better. It's progressively gotten worse. Is it the end or just the beginning? You see, when life on earth ends for you and I, what begins is eternity. And there's only two places you'll spend eternity, either in heaven or in hell. And both places are very real. I did a funeral yesterday. Caitlin Brady's dad passed away on Father's Day. He was planning on getting a stint put in. In fact, he told his boss, his boss told me yesterday, he told me on Friday he was going to get a stint put in. He didn't make it to then. He had a beautiful motorcycle parked right there in the, in the funeral home. He didn't take it with him. This is serious business. Life and death and eternity. And when life ends, we begin our eternal life forever. And over the next several weeks, I want to walk through the book of Revelation and see what the Word of God has to say about the end times. Because I don't care what anybody else says, I just want to know what the Word of God says. Because the Word of God is our final authority. There are all kinds of books, all kinds of revelations that people have, but the Word of God is the final revelation. In fact, the word revelation means unwrapping or unveiling. In Greek, the word revelation is apocalypsis, and so sometimes the book is called the apocalypse. And that word in English has come to mean the end of the world, but in Greek, it means opening. And unveiling, like, like opening a present on Christmas morning. The book of Revelation is not a secret book. It's a book that unwraps secrets. God doesn't want his contents sealed up. He wants to tell everyone what he plans to do. He wants to reveal who he is. The book of Revelation is not an unveiling of everything in God's mind, but it is a revelation that focuses on Jesus Christ. And the focus of this book is not the Antichrist or the War of Armageddon. The focus of this book is Jesus in all of his majesty, all of his glory. And God pulls back the curtain for a time and we see Jesus emerge as the sovereign king of history and of eternity. And if all you see in Revelation are beasts and wars and pounding judgments, and you miss Jesus, you've totally missed the point because it's about Jesus. And so Revelation 1, verse 1, begins this way. This is a revelation from or of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. Notice that word must. There's some things that must happen. 
because God has declared that they're going to happen. And they must soon take place. Somebody say soon. We don't know when, but if it was soon when John wrote this, then it's a whole lot sooner now. Come on. Nudge your neighbor and say, it's coming quickly. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. And this is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Notice verse 3. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says. The time is near. The time is near. And it's not time to play games. It's not time to run around just, just acting like I'm, I'm a believer in Christ. The time is near. And there's a blessing upon those who read, those who listen, and those who obey. And all of those combined brings a blessing on your life. And I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed by God. Amen. Notice he doesn't say there's a blessing on those who understand everything in this book. Just read it, listen to what he's saying, and obey what he's telling you to do. Come on, somebody. And most of us are living as if we just got a whole lifetime. We just don't think that today could be our last moment on this earth. We're playing games with God and we're living on dangerous ground. And we're in love with pleasure rather than being in love with God. Now, I like pleasure more more than probably most of us do. But I don't love it more than God. There's some choices in my life that I make because I love God more than I love pleasure. And I believe God is trying to stir something in his church to get us to become lovers of God rather than lovers of pleasure. Matthew chapter 25 the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. I want to be wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. And their only job, they only had one job, to have oil in their lamps so that when the bridegroom showed up, they could show the way, light the way in the darkness. They didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom's coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps, and then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop, buy some for yourselves. While they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. And then those who were ready, somebody say ready. ready. Those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. And later when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, 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 open the door for us. 
But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't know you. I'm not opening up because I don't know you. That means you don't know me. You don't know how serious this is. And the reality is when the time comes, there's, you can't borrow from somebody else. You've got to have your own relationship with God. You've got to have your own oil, the oil of the Holy Spirit of God in you. You can't, can't be saying, well, hey, my dad, my grandpa, you know, you remember him, right? I don't know you. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so you too must keep watch, he says in verse 13. For you do not know the day or hour of my return. If that wasn't strong enough, Jesus goes on in verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip, called together his servants and trusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Well, I don't have what so-and-so, it's not a, it doesn't matter what you got. What are you doing with what you got? Because it's been given to you according to your ability. Then he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money, earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work, earned two more. The servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, and everybody's been saying, when's Jesus coming back? I don't know. It's been a long time. When they wrote the New Testament, they thought he was coming back next week. Because it was always, get ready, get ready, get ready. Jesus is coming back. Get ready. He's on his way. It took a long time for the master to come back. and Their master returned from his trip, and he called them to give an account of how they had used his money. And the first two guys were commended for how they handled and invested the master's money. But it didn't go so well for the third guy. Verse 26 says, the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant, gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant, give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance but from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus, I thought you loved everybody. He does. And he gives us ample time and gives us ample resources and gives us the ability to make choices and we make the choice. And, you know, people say, well, why would God send people to hell? I'm like, he doesn't. They choose to go there. I don't want anything to do with God now, so why would I want something to do with him later? I'm making a choice. 
And by my choice, I'm deciding where I will spend eternity. And by these people's choice, they ended up in a place they didn't want to be, but they chose to be. This is serious business, folks. And as we're talking and living in the end times, it behooves us to make sure everything's right with God. Make sure we're in love with the right thing. Revelation 1, verse 3, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. Verse 4, this letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Now, there were more than seven churches in Asia, but seven in Scripture is a word that seven means completeness. And the idea in the Greek is literally fully matured or full of, of full age or complete. So seven churches is a complete picture of the church. There are many things that have a seven as a completion, seven days in the week, right? And you have a complete week. There's seven notes on the scale. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. Re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. Re, mi, And you have a complete scale. And he says, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you. God always gives us his grace and his peace. And it comes from the one. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. He is, he always was, he had no beginning, and he has no end. He always will be, he is to come still. He's showing up again. And just like those in Matthew, we've got to be ready. And I pray today that you ready your heart. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne. Again, the, the seven, the complete, complete spirit before his throne. And from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. Ain't nobody in charge but Jesus. Things may look like they're out of control, but they're always in his control. He is the faithful witness. The witness in the Greek is, is the word martus. It's, it's the word that we get our word martyr from. A martyr, typically, as we, we understand martyr, is one who gives their life for the gospel, right? They've, they've committed their life and, and are willing to die. So one who has a faith that's so strong that he would die for it is what a martyr is. So Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the, the martyr. It means he is faithful, the faithful witness of what God is. 
Do you want to know what God is? You can look at Jesus Christ and know exactly what God is. And we are called to be witnesses, martyrs for Jesus Christ. People should look at you and know exactly what Jesus is like. So as Jesus Christ begins to, to dwell in your life through faith, you allow him to take over your life and, and rule and reign in you, and, and the, the you, the, the fleshly you, starts to die away. And, and eventually, as Christ becomes king and lord of our lives, and we allow him to, to overrule our flesh, we start looking more like Jesus. We start acting more like Jesus. We start talking more like Jesus. Amen? I mean, there, there comes a point in our life where the old passes away and all things become new. I respond as he responds. I love as he loves. I forgive as he forgives. I'm his representative. I will be his true and faithful witness. Amen. So he goes on, he says, all glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. And this is good news right here. He loves us, he's freed us from our sins by the shedding of his blood. And if you've not received that forgiveness of sins, I'm gonna give you an opportunity today to do that and be brought into his kingdom, into his family and let him Start a new life in you, something brand new, something fresh, something that, that gives you access to God Almighty and all that he is. He, has, he loves us, has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us, and he has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. We've been set apart as children of the living God. You've been set apart as a priest to God. How about that? You're no longer who you are. You're somebody. God has set you apart to minister to God. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. And he says in verse 7, look, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him. Everyone will see him. Now, that's contrary to what the Jehovah's Witnesses taught, that he came privately in 1914 and into a secret chamber, and only those with spiritual eyes could see him. And now he rules the world in the kingdom age from this secret chamber. And scripture says everyone will see him. And we always go to Scripture because that's where the truth is, the truth of God's word. And when you know the truth, everything else, it's like, yeah. It's good stuff, but eh, not that good. I'm not going to build my life on it. Everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. How's that going to happen? I don't know. But God can make it happen, and he will, because he said it. Even those who pierced him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes. Amen. And that passage is yet another fulfillment of, of prophecy. And everything that God has spoken will come to pass. I was just reading this morning um, in my daily reading in Matthew. 
of the prophecies that foretold Jesus Christ coming as a baby in Bethlehem. And everything else that happened after Jesus was born, them running off to Egypt and coming out of Egypt, then going, oh, where we go now? Uh, oh, there's something going on there, so let's go to Nazareth. And, and now he's in Nazareth. And, and it said after everything that happened that looked like circumstances, it said, and this fulfilled the prophecy, I'll call my son out of Egypt. He shall be called a Nazarene. Who knew? I'm just running for my life, right? That's what Joseph and Mary are thinking. We, we got to escape. We got to get somewhere. We got to help. And every step they take is ordained by God and it's a fulfillment of the prophecies that were spoken hundreds of years before. Not one jot or tittle. That's King James. One dot. I'm like, what's a tittle? I don't even know what that is. It's like little hash marks, right? Not, not one of those will fall to the ground. God keeps his word. It performs what he sent it for. He's not missing a thing. Every prophecy fulfilled. Verse 8, sorry. I got to, I'm a, oh my. We, we got a few things to do here today. So hang with me if you would. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. I'm the one that started this thing, and I'm the one that's going to end it. I am the beginning and the end. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. And then John says, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. And nobody wants that line right there in your life. I don't want patient endurance. I want what I want and I want it now. And that's the society we live in. That's how we grew up. And all of a sudden, things are getting faster and quicker, and we can get things instant access. I want my map now. There ain't no map available right now. He calls us to, Jesus calls us to the patient endurance. <coughs> John goes on, I was exiled to the island of Patmos. Why? For preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. Here's some things we know about John. He was well into his 90s by now, probably lived around 96 years old. Fox's Book of Martyrs tells us from Ephesus he was ordered to be sent to Rome where it is affirmed that he was cast into a cauldron of boiling oil. That sounds exciting. And he escaped by miracle without injury. They threw him into a cauldron of boiling oil and he 
somehow escaped without injury. Domitian afterwards banished him to the Isle of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. Nerva, the successor of Domitian, recalled him. He was the only apostle who escaped a violent death. Let me just tell you this. God can and will speak to you in your most difficult, trying moments in life. God reveals himself in this time of being exiled to the island of Patmos. We're all alone and you just feel like you're all alone. God's with you. He's, he's ministering to you. And listen, if God wants to do something through you, if he wants to say something through you, if he wants to speak to you, if he wants to sing through you, if he wants to write something through you, he can take care of you. He can make it happen because you're a child of God in the palm of his hand. He took care of John, and he'll take care of you. He's a big God. Somebody say, he's a big God. Somebody say it again louder. He's a big God. He's a big God. He's an awesome God. Hallelujah. Big God. Little devil. Big God. Little devil. Big God. Little devil. Verse 10. It was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. Thank you, James. I imagine it shook him up a bit. How about that, Steve? Shake you up? A bit, yeah. Blood pressure's rising. He's like, what, what in the world is behind me? Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. Let me just, let, let, let's talk about this for a second. People are like, it sounds loud. You, you have no idea what's coming in heaven. It's going to be really loud in heaven. I mean, really loud in heaven. Uh, it said, the voice said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. And his feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. And he held seven stars in his right hand. And a sharp two-edged sword came out from his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. 
And I said, hey, Jesus, how you doing? I want to talk to you about something that happened to me down on earth. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. We have all these mental ideas of what we're going to do when we get to heaven and how we're going to act and things. We, we've got to know this and I've got to take, check this out and, and, and I've got a whole bunch of stuff I want to talk to God about. When you get in his presence, you will fall on your face as if you were dead. All the stuff that happened down here is going to be like, who cares? And I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Write down what you've seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. In verse 19, and let me just spend a couple of moments here. Verse 19 gives us the key to the book of Revelation. The understanding of this book is really dependent upon your using this key which is verse 19 of chapter 1, for there are three divisions to the book of Revelation. So you have John writing that which he saw. He will be writing in chapters 2 and 3 the things which are during this present age, the things of the church. And then as you begin in chapter 4, he's going to write of the things that transpire after the things of the church, the things that will be hereafter, or more literally, after these things. So this is significant. And then in verse 20, the Lord explains to John a little bit of the vision that he saw. Remember, he turned and saw him walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, right? And the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels or messengers of the seven churches. And that word in Greek, angelos is literally messengers. It's, it's usually used of a heavenly messenger, but it's also used of earthly messengers too. Anyone who's bearing a message could be an angelos, a messenger. The word by usage has come to mean a divine messenger, a heavenly being, but it's also used of, of earthly messengers. And so the seven churches are the complete church and those who are the messengers of the church. And it's very comforting and extremely exciting to realize the place of the seven stars. They were being held in the right hand of him. The church, 
and his messengers, us, the witnesses. And how beautiful and comforting it is to realize that as a messenger of the church, your life is being held in the right hand of the Lord. I mean, I don't, I don't know of anything more exciting than that and comforting than that. Another thing that's extremely exciting is where Jesus is. He's walking in the midst of the church. And he's holding the messengers. He's walking in the midst of the church. And he's holding the messengers in his right hand. He's walking in the midst of the church. And he's holding his messengers in his right hand. It's a safe place. It's a place of comfort. It's a place where you know nothing can reach you except what he allows to reach you because you're held in his right hand. The right hand is always significant. The right hand is the hand of power, the hand of authority, the hand of blessing and favor. Come on, somebody. Realize what, what God is doing as he carries you. You remember in the Gospels, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be, I'm there in their midst, right? So Jesus Christ is here today with us. He's promised to be with his people wherever they've gathered in his name. And, and for a time, he sought to familiarize his disciples with this concept, I'm there in your midst. Even though you may not see me, I'm still there. You remember after his resurrection, he appeared to those on the road and they didn't quite get it. And finally they said, oh, that, that must have been Jesus. Remember how our hearts burned. And they all got together and said, Jesus has risen. We've seen him. And he shows up in the room, right, and says, hey, here I am. Peace be still, you know, peace be with you. Don't be afraid. I'm here, I'm, I'm alive. And then he disappears, but he's still there with them, even though they can't see him. And he's teaching them through this process. And Thomas says, yeah, right. I wasn't here. I didn't see him. And if I don't put my hand in his side and touch the nail prints in his hands, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And so the next time they're together, Jesus shows up. And what's he say? Hey, Tom, come here. How did Jesus know what Tom said? Because he was there. He was there in their midst, even though they couldn't see him physically. And I'm here to tell you today, he's here. He said, where you gather in my name, I'm there. I'm with you. And the good news is, where he is, anything good can happen. I don't know what you need today but I do know this Jesus is here if 
you need salvation, he's here to save you. If you need forgiveness, he's here to forgive you. If you need healing, he's here to heal you. If you need to be filled with his Holy Spirit, he's here to fill you. If you need restoration in your life, he's here to restore you. Whatever you need, he is here to meet you. And I want you to stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just close your eyes for a moment. And realize that Jesus Christ, the risen one, the almighty one, the one who was, who is, and who is to come, is here today. And he's here to touch you at your deepest need. Lord, I thank you that your word declares that you are here. You're, you're, you are here. You're holding us in the palm of your hand and you're walking among the church. And Lord, I want to be that one who reaches out and touches the hem of your garment as you walk by. Say, Jesus, I need you. I want to be that blind beggar that says, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. We're needy today, Lord. And we need you to come, to open our eyes, to open our hearts, to open our lives up for all that you have for us. So we reach out to you. Reach out and receive who you are.